This is Mark chapter one, beginning in verse 14. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. One of my favorite movies, I'll tell you about a couple of them, and I will ruin the ending for you, so spoiler alert. They've been out for quite some time, so if you haven't seen them yet, shame on you. The Sixth Sense, okay? It's about a little kid that claims to see dead people. Little kid hangs out with Bruce Willis as a counselor. They grow and become close and Bruce feels as though he's making these big breakthroughs until the very end you come to find that all along Bruce Willis has been dead. (laughs) Another movie. Same same writer and director. Um, This is called The Village. The Village is a movie about a people who live in what appears to be a a very long time ago and they are scared of those things out there somewhere that they don't speak about. I can't tell this one quite as good as the other one. <laughs> At the end, you come to find that a girl has, who has been entrusted with the task of going to the towns to find medicine for somebody somewhere at some point to help them, she like reaches this wall and climbs over it and falls out onto a highway. And that was the big twist. It's like not in the 17th century or not in the 18th century or whatever. It's actually in modern day time and these people have been living in a secluded area put there by the townsfolks who have been through tough things. Okay, you should see that one. I butchered it, I'm sorry. I apologize, (laughs) it was bad, I wasn't prepared for that, it was on the fly, whatever. The point is, sometimes you see things and there's a surprise at the end that you're not expecting. Sometimes you can be tracking along, and I went to the movies to see these films, and there's always that one person that's sitting there saying, oh, I called that. Five minutes in, I knew exactly what was happening. I knew it was modern day time. And that person's terrible, so don't be that person, and they're lying to you. But there's these moments where you're surprised and you're, you're taken aback by what's actually unfolding before your eyes. Shows and movies and books often create this moment for us. The more we look into the book of Mark, Jesus seems to be creating something similar for his audience. The things that he is saying is actually bringing Israel's story to a very surprising and climactic ending, one that they were not expecting. Over the last couple weeks, we have talked through the first 13 verses of the book of Mark and we have introduced um, the story. We've seen the author of Mark kind of putting in context these scenes in the wilderness where Jesus was meeting and interacting with John the Baptist and John the Baptist believed that he was a forerunner to the one who he was not worthy to untie his sandals. There was one coming after John and he had this mindset that when that person shows up, everything is going to start to become clear. Everything is going to bring this story to an end. So we see Jesus being baptized and we hear the voice of God speaking very clearly to Jesus saying, you are my son whom I love and in you I am well pleased. 
we see from there Jesus um, being led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It's odd that Mark uses the term for wilderness so often in those first 13 verses and doesn't really come back to it throughout the rest of his book. He's as if he's setting up this context for what Jesus was about to do in his ministry, saying you have to understand Jesus in the wilderness before you can understand Jesus interacting with people. He is, in a sense, reliving Israel's story. He is, in a sense, living in the anti-Eden and being what Adam and Eve were not. He is living in the wilderness and sustaining temptation in a way that Israel was not. He was bringing the story to its ultimate fulfillment and completion. In verse 14, we see a, a change in the author's tone. It says, after John was put into prison. This is a lot stronger in the Greek, where instead of using the typical conjunction chi, which is and, Mark uses something different. It's changing the scene. It's putting us outside of the wilderness and outside of the desert into almost like real life time where Jesus is beginning to bring his ministry to bear on the people. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. There's like this shift in Mark's mind where John is the forerunner and John is setting up the way for Jesus. All the things that John was doing in the wilderness, baptizing people and preaching this message of uh, repentance for the forgiveness of sins through baptism, Jesus was waiting for that to come to its end so that he could become the one that John was not worthy to untie his shoes. And we see Jesus going back to his home in Galilee Remember that at this time, the baptism is probably somewhere down here in the south. This is Jerusalem over here, and it would seem likely that John was baptizing over here by the Dead Sea. Jesus going back up into the Galilee region over here and beginning to preach. Jesus going back home and beginning to proclaim, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. For an ancient audience, this would have been jarring, this would have been surprising, this would have been climactic. I think that we lose a lot of that as modern day readers because we're not in touch with, with the world in which Jesus was living at the time. And we're also not necessarily aware of what this word kingdom even means. It's something that if you read Relevant Magazine, you might see it littered across the page of all their relevant articles, and it's kind of like a buzzword within contemporary Christianity, but a lot of people, it seems as though they use it as code for something that it's not actually according to Jesus. One author says the kingdom is God's dream for this world come true. It's everything that people had been waiting for. Jesus is bringing it to its ultimate fulfillment. You'll hear me say that over and over and over again as we understand what Jesus was doing. He's bringing the story to its climax. He's fulfilling everything that Israel had been longing for for so long, which makes this statement, the kingdom is here, it's now, it's with me, radical and revolutionary, and I would offer world-changing. This has very huge implications for us, especially when we begin to think about God's dream for this world coming true through Jesus and what that actually means for us today in the world in which we live. McKnight continues and he says, this kingdom is actually bringing together a society of people that are noted by caring for others. They're shaped by justice. They're empowered by love. They're dwelling in peace and flowing with wisdom. This sounds like a good story that's coming to its conclusion. 
He continues, this society knows its history and it's living out its memory. All the stories upon which they are finding their identity, they're living them out in meaningful and tangible ways. This society values society. It's not just an individualistic religion where it's all about you and your sins. It's not just about you and your morning devotions in a closet somewhere that have nothing to do with the world. It's not just about you and your church attendance. It's about you and caring for the burdens of the people that are around you in Guatemala and in Salisbury, in your house and on your dorm floor. It's a society that that values society and it's a society that cares about its future. The kingdom is God's dream and at the time it was Israel's dream and according to Jesus, it was actually happening. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. When you, when you frame it like that, it is very good news that this was changing, that the world right in front of these folks' eyes it was becoming something that they've been waiting for so long to take place. You could stop here for a second and say, what about now? This was 2,000 years ago when Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is invading earth right now through me. And yet when we look around our world and we see the things that are taking place, at many times we're horrified. The underlying racism that still takes place in this country, the underlying prejudice against people groups, the underlying hatred and bigotry and judgmentalism and hypocrisy, all the things upon which the church is known for outside of the church. In a recent study that I talk about quite often, we, we hear that the unchurched crowd looks in and says the top six things that characterize this people would be being judgmental, being hypocritical, being anti-gay, being anti-science, being anti-this and anti-that, and all these things that, that aren't necessarily reflective of God's dream for the world come true. It's something totally different. We've taken this offer of kingdom and we've, we've, we've distorted it into something that it's not. We also have to come face to face with this idea that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, not everything is fixed. Your problems don't go away. The divorce that's right on the cusp of happening might not necessarily be resolved because of Jesus. The person that you're praying for healing in might not necessarily be healed because of Jesus. Yet Jesus, in some very counterintuitive way, still offers hope and offers life and offers peace in the midst of difficulty and struggle and oppression and suffering. It's this, what the scholars call this already of the kingdom. It's invaded, it's here, it's now, but it's not yet. It hasn't quite taken taken hold of everything and we are desperately waiting and praying and hoping that Jesus will return to redeem all things to himself. We see glimpses of it now. We participate in glimpses of it, whether it's a missions trip to Guatemala or whether it's in our own lives. The person that we used to be five or 10 years ago, we're not that person anymore. We see glimpses of hope and change and restoration. But when we think about what that society looks like, it does bear the question, what about us? How are we contributing to it? But I wanna put that off to the side for a second and get back to to the text at hand. In Jesus's day, when people heard kingdom, they would have thought about a few different things. There was different strategies in which these people were trying to bring the kingdom to bear on earth at that time. 
For one group, they were awaiting God's warrior, God's Messiah who would show up with a sword in one hand and a shield in another and take care of Roman oppressors. He would show up to vindicate Israel in a very literal and tangible way where they would take care of business and get rid of the kings or the governors or whoever was overthrowing the people at that time. There was another people group that would promote violence. They weren't waiting for God's Messiah to show up. They were actually doing violence themselves. These folks were called the zealots. And Jesus actually had one of those people in his closest crew. In the 12, the zealot who was there with very, very clear political aspirations sitting next to a tax collector. It was like a Democrat sitting next to someone who's part of the Tea Party and they get along and they say, Jesus, we love you. Let's go do ministry together. And he sends them out two by two and it's the Tea Party guy and the, the Democrat guy. It's like we don't see that in our, in our world usually. We will judge a car by the bumper sticker that it has on the back at times. But these folks were trying to bring the kingdom through, through violence. There was another group, and we talked about them last week, the Essenes, who were trying to withdraw from society and go live out in the desert. They were out there, and they were trying to ritually purify themselves, and they were not to be tainted by the world, and they just kind of lived there, and they sang Kumbaya, and they didn't really interact with anybody. And we see Christians doing this. They're pulling themselves away from the world, and they're kind of sitting in their holy huddles, and they're reading their safe school curriculums, and they're kind of just isolated and insulated from the world. There's another group, and this is actually the Pharisees that you know uh, pretty well that would say law-keeping is what's bringing the kingdom to earth. If we could just see what God wants us to do and then do it, he would be pleased with us, and then the kingdom would come here. And I think a lot of us would resonate with that until we realize that Jesus, all throughout his ministry, said, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but you're dead. You're tithing, your spices, you're coming at me with, with the first fruits of your, your stuff, but you're also tithing your dill and your cumin and your oregano. I don't know if they were really tithing oregano, but like they were looking at the law so seriously that they weren't seeing the heart of the law. And then finally, there was another group called the Sadducees that were trying to politically align themselves with Rome. And these were like the, the lobbyists that were going and hanging out in Washington, D.C. and trying to evoke change by changing the laws, perhaps. And these were like the elite of the elite. They didn't really have hands-on uh, practical ramifications for the people in the seats. They were just trying to make themselves be okay. And Jesus shows up and says, all that stuff, all those different stories that you might have heard, forget them. The kingdom, it's here, it's happening right now, and this is what you need to do. You need to repent, and you need to believe. For some of you that are suffering from church hurt, and some of you that are suffering from the picture of what the church has been, when you hear repent and believe, it might take you and transport you outside of a stadium where you see certain <coughs> groups of Christians with their signs, and their picketing, and their tracks, and they say, repent, turn or burn, that sort of thing, and it makes you go, Ugh. But what Jesus is talking about here is not that. He's saying there's so many different ideologies that are enticing to people. There are so many different, different things that people are uh, uh, putting before you so that you can go and find your salvation. And he's saying, what you need to do is turn away from those and reorient your lives back to following God. Repent. Go uh, away from the streams of what everyone is doing and reorient your lives around, around God. 
and believe and begin to trust. In Mark, these two things are kind of juxtaposed. We have the time has come and the kingdom of God has come near. And then in the second line, repent and believe the good news. And it's almost as if these two on the bottom correspond with each of these. The time has come, therefore repent. The kingdom of God has come near, therefore believe or trust or hope in the good news. Jesus was showing up with a surprising ending that the person that you were waiting for, it was here and it's me and I got my sandals on and I got my robe on and I'm just a normal guy and I don't have a knife in my pants ready to stab someone. He was going about things in a very, very, very different way. God is doing a new thing and for all of the over 30 crowd that immediately hear resonances of DC talk in your mind, I'll go ahead and do it for you. You know who's doing it? God is doing a new thing. The three of you in the room that got that can thank me later. The rest of you, I apologize. Bad Christian music. God is doing a new thing. The king has arrived and he's saying, repent and believe, reorient your life around this message. And the validation of that comes in Jesus's, the the next chapters of Mark where he's actually living this out saying, the person that I'm claiming to be, you can believe that that is true because of the things that I do. The miracles that happen when I'm here, the healings that take place, the casting out of demons, the forgiveness that is occurring through, through Jesus himself, the teaching, and then just with Jesus being around the table with unlikely people. One of the things that Jesus gets hammered for most often is he eats with the people on the margins, the people that we don't deem to be good enough or holy enough or look good enough Jesus is sharing his life with them and validating this kingdom message that is allowing other people to join in. For us, this kingdom is is an either or. For a lot of folks, it's, it's a kingdom that solely resides in individual decisions to follow Jesus. It's a kingdom that means you can now be forgiven of your sins. It's a kingdom that means you can have eternal life in heaven. It's a kingdom that means all of these things for you that Jesus has brought about. For other people, it's something a little bit different. It's the kingdom means we work and we advocate for social justice. It's we get our hands dirty and we set up homeless shelters and we feed people and we do things. And at times that is very distinct from our relationship with Jesus. It's the things that we do to make ourselves feel okay and to make ourselves believe that we are bringing the kingdom here now. However, this idea of setting up those two things as separate entities, it's the either individual spirituality or social justice is completely and utterly wrong. Instead, we should be fighting together as the kingdom and understanding it as a both and. And this is where I think we as a church have kind of not really been too good because we're so scared of tracks and we're so scared of picket signs and we're so scared of how a lot of times the gospel has been presented to us in our lives that we don't often present you with an opportunity to put a flag in the ground and say, I'm following Jesus. I'm turning from whatever the world is offering me and I'm reorienting my life around the risen son of God and I will follow him. I think at times we've kind of hung out over here with the doing things and the the stuff that actually brings the kingdom to earth. This past week, I was texting back and forth with Kate. Kate works with an elderly population. Kate is a physical therapist, and part of Kate's job is 
getting her hands dirty in a very literal sense. You follow? But for me, that's like, that's, that's part and parcel of the kingdom. It's like the fact that she lays her hands on people and restores them to wellness is a kingdom work. But it cannot be a kingdom work isolated from a relationship and a passionate devotion to Jesus. It can't be one or the other. If we just have this relationship and it doesn't have any real life implications on the world, it's worthless. But if we're over here and we're changing the world and we don't know who Jesus is, it's worthless. For us, we need to be fighting for this this middle ground where we take who we are and what we're trying to do in following Jesus and we aren't content just to sit down and read our Bibles and we're not content just to play our Bethel worship CDs and raise our hands in the car when nobody's looking. It's not good enough for us to even participate in a homeless shelter or to feed people or to plant a garden without understanding that the reason why we do that is because Jesus has radically transformed who we are as a people. And the only way that we can get there is if through the Spirit we are becoming radically transformed people. A people who sees the folks on the margins and invites them in. A people that sees the practical needs and the way that we can lay our hands on people in a physical, tangible, real life way to bring them back to wellness. If we're not letting our faith in Jesus inform those daily acts, those daily acts that some of you are engaged in right now, I'm looking around the room and seeing midwives and people that are sending folks on trips around the world and people that are in physical therapy and people that are teaching and whatever. Like those jobs that we have, they're not just jobs. They're potentially bringing the kingdom to earth because our relationship with Jesus is radically transforming who we are. The point of all this is as Jesus shows up, he's, he's surprising everyone and bringing this story to, end, to its end in a weird way that they weren't expecting, much like an M. Night Shyamalan video, but not really. The point for us today is to see this idea of kingdom as both and and begin to self-assess. For some of you, Jesus is so far away because the only thing that you've seen is ways that that's been abused in your life. And we should take that as, as a a challenge in a way to create a different vision of what Jesus is wanting for us. But for those of us in the room that haven't been there, begin to to reflect and to think if today might be the day, not when you get saved, but when you partner with the king of the world to change everything. When you become one who fights for justice and you become one who brings heaven to earth and when you become one who cares about justice and the broken and the poor and the oppressed and the person next to you that doesn't even know who Jesus is and doesn't have hope in their lives, that's what we sign up for collectively. For those of us in the room that have already made that profession and that's where we believe that we are, it's a a time to self-assess and say, is that really what's happening in my life? Can people even see that this is an important thing in my life or am I just having it so that I can feel good about myself and then fly under the radar when I'm with these certain people? I want to at least challenge us today in the same way that Jesus, when he walked into this town saying, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. He was calling people to partner with him. He was calling people to follow him. He was calling people to a different way of living. And that same call is true for us today. 
but I don't want to reduce it to every head bowed and every eye closed, raise your hand, because that's not the point. The point is transforming who you are and following Jesus in a passionate way that will change, maybe not the world, but at least the people that you know and the people that you love and the people that God has put in your path.